Hey Rebels, this part of the program is sponsored by The Voice of the Martyrs. Start your year off right with a VOM Global Prayer Guide. The Voice of the Martyrs Global Prayer Guide provides background information on each of the 68 countries where they are working, as well as information on the current situation for Christians in those countries. Place this prayer guide next to your Bible to help you pray more specifically for our persecuted family throughout the year. Head to persecution.com slash prayer guide for more information. Woo! Rebels, it's that time! Can you feel it? Are you ready to be a great parent? Do you want to feel like you're back on your honeymoon? Well, we believe in you and God believes in you. Rebels, it's time to join the rebellion. It's time for Rebel Parenting. Hey, Rebels, we've got a great broadcast today. Dr. Tim Muehlhoff from Biola University. He has a PhD from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hills. He's a professor of communications. He teaches classes in family communication, interpersonal communication, persuasion, and gender. He's the author of I Beg to Differ and Marriage Forecasting. Dr. Muehlhoff and his wife, Noreen, are frequent speakers at Family Life Marriage Conferences, and Tim also serves as a speaker-author with Biola Center for Marriage and Relationships. I'm telling you, this broadcast is fire. It is so fire that I had him back on the program two weeks after we recorded this. I'm going to play that in a few months. It is gold. It's gold, gold, gold. You could memify almost this entire broadcast. I can't wait for your marriage to upgrade because of this broadcast. Here's Dr. Tim Muehlhoff on today's edition of Rebel Parenting. All right. The live button just got hit. Rebels, thank you so much for joining us today here on Facebook. We are so excited to see you. What a broadcast we have today. Dr. Tim Muehlhoff of Biola University. I'm so excited. Biola grad, what? Biola. I've got no Biola gear. I should have taken a Sharpie and written Biola across here. <laughs> totally. How's it going? It's pouring down rain. It's cold where you're at. It's are- California cold, but yeah. yeah, it's cold, rainy. Not the California we dream of, but we need the rain desperately, so yeah. it's good. Definitely, and talk about your professorship at Biola and what you do on a day-to-day basis. Well, I get to teach classes on communication, which is just a blast. So Mm. I teach a class on family communication. I teach a class on gender. I teach a class on evangelism. I teach a class on apologetics. I Mm. teach a class on how do you resolve conflict uh, when you feel like you're in two intractable positions. So I get to teach all the really practical stuff that just makes for churches, families, things like that. Am I ever allowed to just come in and sit (laughs) in? Audit some classes on... uh, what do you do when your husband always has intractable positions and he's and he sticks to you all the time? Well, my wife would say I'm good at the theory part of it. There you go. Hey. Ooh. Ooh. Oh. Nice. You're going to oh, steal you know, that I, one. That one's so you great. You know what to do. You yeah. can absolutely know what to do. It's just whether you want to do it or and stuff like that mm-hmm. is what the nuts and bolts is. Yeah. yeah definitely. Definitely. Um, can I call you Tim? Yeah, of course. Tim, you've written a book called Defending Your Marriage, The Reality of Spiritual Battle. And I'm going to read a tiny piece here because I loved it and then I was laughing too. It says, is your marriage under attack? Sometimes it can feel like the world is trying to tear your marriage apart. Internal conflicts or external pressures might make you wonder if something sinister is going on. How can you tell if you're facing spiritual opposition and what can you do about it? And my answer to, how can you tell if you're facing spiritual opposition? My first question is, are you married? And if you answer yes, then yes, you're under spiritual opposition. (laughs) You are. (laughs) Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and the foundation of civilization. 
The foundation of civilization is marriage. If you're married, you are under spiritual attack. Mm -hmm. And I want to open with, Tim, when you talk about being under spiritual attack, demonic influence, Satan's out to get you, in 2018, do you get eye rolls? Do you get chuckles? Do you get like, what's this guy talking about? Like, where do you come from? Oh, absolutely. I even had a friend of mine say to me, hey, I wouldn't write this book because you don't want to be known as the devil guy. right?" Yeah, and yeah. I, wow. by the way, I don't want to be known as the devil guy. Yes, I really sir. don't. So I'm like the last person in the world that would have written this book. Mm. And as an academic, a person who teaches at a university, I got to tell you, it makes me feel uncomfortable when I start to bring in spiritual battle into like talking about conflict. But 25% of everything Jesus said had to do about spiritual battle. Mm. So set aside 25% of everything that Jesus said because we're uncomfortable with it in the West. And I think we have to own that, that the rest of the world, a lot of our brothers and sisters in the East, this is common language for them. But in the West, I think we're kind of highbrow and high educated. And we just don't want to think, oh, man, the devil made me do it. And we really pull away from it. Yep. Yeah. I just heard recently the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. Yeah. You know, we've scienced God and the devil away. You know, you hear pastors like, I understand God. And I think, whoa, you must be really smart because the more I learn about my faith, the less I truly understand mm. about God. I don't understand his ways. It doesn't make any sense to me. Why would you come die for me? I don't deserve it. I'm not good enough. I'm not bad enough. I'm not going to do enough good or bad for you to die for me. I don't understand that. So to dig into this and to hear 25% of all Christ talked about had to do with spiritual battles, that's a huge revelation. When did you find that revelation? Like, when did that discovery come to you? Oh, well, you know, there's a ton of books on spiritual battle. There's yeah. actually great books on spiritual battle. Yeah. So if you just read some of the great books by Clint Arnold, he's one of the leading Ephesian scholars. He teaches at Biola University. There's Charles Kraft. Mm. Uh, Ortberg has written a lot about spiritual battle. So I read a bunch of books on spiritual battle. But what shocked me is I couldn't find one book that applied it to marriage. Oh. But like there were spiritual battle books that talked about marriage, obviously, mm-hmm. but there wasn't one book that applied it directly to marriage. I think the Apostle Paul would say, did you not read my letter to the church at Ephesus? Yes. Right. We talked about spiritual battle yeah. right before that is his greatest expression on marriage. Ephesians chapter five. Mm. Yeah. That's us. Chapter six. Right. And yet we talk about it for some reason in Western churches. Hmm. You talked about that you work with Family Life also. Yeah. So you get to go speak at their events. Which events do you speak at? I'm just curious, just because we have a connection with Family Life. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah, well, we do mostly stay on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. So we do conferences like Irvine. uh, We do Monterey. So we kind of stay on our side of it. Yeah. So you do the art of marriage, the art of parenting, those conferences they do? No, we more do the marriage conferences. Like, I, I think I'm in the art of marriage. I'm actually in the video or nice. something like that. Oh. <laughs> People always come up to me and say, how do I know you? And it's like, probably the art of marriage. I can't believe how many people have seen that that series. It's a great series. Yeah. It's really, really We is. have it. Heading into a marriage conference, we'd be crazy to think that Satan wouldn't want to somehow disrupt the fact that you're at a marriage conference, learning about communication, listening 
And remember what John says, a very interesting thing John says is, the entire world is in the power of the evil one. Now, what does he mean by that? I think he means that we're so busy in life that we can't have time for solitude, prayer. Technology isn't of the devil, but it can certainly be used by him to cause us to be less intimate. So I think Satan takes all the raw material of the world, and I think he uses it very subtly to drive us apart from each other and drive us apart from Christ. Mm, Oh, we see that all the time. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting. There's a story in your book. I think it was you and your wife were getting ready to go to a marriage conference to speak at and had a huge meltdown and, you know, all this stuff's going on. You walk into the room and they're praying over every chair and you're like, what are you doing? Like, don't you think people are having all these conflicts trying to get here? And Laura and I laughed. I mean, I laughed a little bit sheepishly. I mean, it is without a doubt before or after an event we do together, it is just literally all hell breaks loose. I don't say that in a swearing way. I mean, all hell breaks loose. Our kids go bonkers. Our dog goes nuts. You know, something breaks in the house. We start fighting. It's like, what's going on? Oh, we're trying to do God's work in marriage, which is the undermining, the underpinning of our society. Yeah. You know know what's funny about that, Ryan? Absolutely, that's happened to us. I think I might have given lip service. Like if you were to say to me, Tim, you and Noreen are probably under spiritual attack because you're going to speak at a marriage conference. I probably would have given that lip service. I probably would have said, yeah, you know, yes, but I would have done nothing to address it. Yeah. So how are some ways we can address it? Yeah. What do you guys do when you're getting ready for that? Because love to know. (laughs) Any couple that's going to their small group or their marriage Bible study or if they're going to read a marriage book ought to know when you're trying to improve your marriage, you are just going to get hammered. There's a book. It's not a Christian book. It's called The War of Art. And there's, I think, two chapters that are super anti-Bible and religion. And it simply says, if you try to better yourself in any way, expect opposition, expect resistance, more so in the faith. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say what the scriptures say is that Satan wants to get a foothold. A foothold is it's an opportunity to drive a wedge between you and your spouse or you and God. So mm-hmm. uh, the illustration, Ryan, I think you were alluding to is we were going to leave. We're going to fly out of LAX, which is horrible. Talk about an airport controlled by Satan. Goodness gracious. That's LAX, right? Yeah. And so the faucet is leaking. As ju- we discover this just as we're about to leave. Now, do I believe Satan took a wrench and loosened the pipe on, underneath my sink? I think the answer is no. But he would love to take that and drive a wedge between Noreen and me because Noreen would say to me, honey, I told you about this sink that it needed to be fixed. And I'm like, I know, but I was busy. So here we are driving off to the airport and Satan is saying, see, I want the sun to go down on your anger to drive you apart because you're about to go speak at a marriage conference. Yes. Oh, I like that. See, I like that because you're not going overboard going, oh, there's little gremlins and demons in your house and they're undoing the pipes and they're undoing your little wiring and they're going to cut your brake lines. And Satan is looking for any instance, any opportunity, any minutia to put a wedge against you. Like, don't you know how busy I am? Don't you know I'm getting ready to go to this thing and I got to get on an airplane? And yeah, I know, but how important was it then? And why can't you just be have grace? And why can't you understand what my needs are? And she's saying, you know, our house is going to flood and we're going to have burst pipes and we're yeah. going to lose a lot of money and bills. And why wouldn't you be responsible? And Satan's like, wahoo, I got him. Yep. And what you just described, Ryan, is what we call latent conflict, right? It's all those little 
conversations that we never really close the loop on. Yes. So they're kind of below the surface. Well, Satan loves that. Yes. Right. So when you have a disagreement about the pipes. Suddenly this gets into, and by the way, I don't like how you handle our finances and I don't <laughs> like this and that and this. And Satan's like, Love it, because this isn't about the pipes anymore. It's about like 10 arguments ago. Yeah. And yet basic conflict resolution is, hey, close the loop on the conflict that you're having. And we don't do it, of course, right? But Satan loves to use that kind of stuff. Mm. Oh, all the you know time. what? Talk about that. That's really interesting. The latent conversations that you're leaving undone. Is that one of those things you can do to actually shore up a foundation against spiritual attack is close the loops on those types of things? Yeah, I would say the stronger your relationship is on an interpersonal level, right? You're exhibiting good listening. You're trying to find common ground. You're not always arguing for your position. If you're strong, then it gives Satan less openings to try to drive the wedge in. Mm. And so, we all, by the way, I would say thoughts is a huge discovery from this book, is that there's a lot of evidence that Satan can't read your thoughts. There's no evidence that he's omniscient. But there's a lot of evidence that he can plant thoughts. And the classic text is, David was incited by Satan to take a survey of his army. Now, it's okay for a leader to do that, but he was putting all of his trust in the army. So when Satan incited him to do that, he was shifting his trust from God uh, to the army. Yeah. When Jesus was being tempted, it's interesting, he's taken to a mountain in Jerusalem, and he's shown all the kingdoms of the world. Yes. Now, everybody would agree from that mountain, he can't see all the kingdoms of the world. So Satan was able to plant in Jesus's mind a vision of earthly kingdoms. So thoughts is a key battleground for couples and individuals is you have to take those thoughts captive and be aware of thoughts that are going south concerning your spouse. Yeah. takes. I love that you talk about a lot of self-responsibility, being accountable for your impact and your, your self-control in this marriage I yeah love definitely that. tim talk a little bit about that because i think so rebel parenting we're not trying to reach every christian out there we have a very specific type and most of us are overachievers uh high functioners type a and we struggle with shame and guilt most often and so there's a lot of science there's a lot of hard data there's a lot of evidence there's a lot of you got to prove this kind of stuff and I'm wondering how many of us out there are like, come on, I mean, how much influence is really being placed on? I mean, I know Satan's trying to get a wedge in. I'll totally grant you that, Tim. And really, demons are placing thoughts in my head. Like, because I've been reading your book and I, I can't deny the things you're saying. I am fascinated by it. But dive into that a little bit of... I understand, and, and I, I've just listened to some of this, that Satan can't read your thoughts. He can hear what you're saying, so be careful what yeah. you say, but he can't hear your thoughts. And so talk a little bit about placing thoughts, reading minds, possession, that kind of stuff, to give people a kind of idea where you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah, of course. How long have you guys been married? 13 years. Yeah, we're going on uh, 28. Woo! Okay? Woo! So my wife has observed me for roughly 28 years, right? And there are times, I'm sure you guys get this too, where it's like your spouse finishes your sentence. Yeah. Or they'll look at you and they'll say, hey, I know exactly what you're thinking. Now, my wife can't read my mind, but she's observed me over time that in fact, she kind of can predict what I'm thinking and stuff like that. So I think that's what a demon does. 
a demon observes you and then can you think he's reading your mind when in fact he's just observing what oh. you're doing yeah become really good at it so okay i'm gonna need- give you a real world example of this there yeah. are I, oh, what was the documentary i'm gonna forget what the documentary was i'm watched way too many but cold readers uh you know the fake psychics there's so many great documentaries now about people that can sit with you and go oh this i know about you this i know about you here's when you were born here's how much you weighed this is what time of day you were born blah blah all these things and you go oh, how could you possibly know that because we're not that smart we give tell signs all the time and demons have had millennia upon millennia to watch human beings how we act and interact between each other and they're reading us yeah but imagine if a mentalist had lived with you for 13 years so he's not doing a cold reading he actually has more information Ooh, to go on. that's true so bomb. I, that's what's happening in our marriages is that uh, and again these are most likely demons satan is that i mean he flies at a certain trajectory that we're not getting tempted by satan himself none of us our pay grade isn't that high. <laughs> so there's demons that are trying to just disrupt everything. So what I did was I read about 20 books on spiritual battle, and I asked the question, when they were diagnosing the demonic, did, any, did all 20 books mention the same things? And I came up with a top five list of every book mentioned that this is a sign of the demonic. Yep. I also came up with a really fun honorable mention list. <sighs> that's in the book. <laughs> Hit the top five, though. Let's talk about those. They're important. I've been reading those right now. I got them right here. So you yeah. talk about it. I'm going to pull it up. Yeah, so number one is, and again, this is in no order particularly, uh, but number one is uncontrolled anger. Mm. Now, I would say that anger per se is demonically infused. Anger can actually be a really good thing. What right? says be angry and do not sin in the Bible. So there are clearly are instances where anger is fine. It's not sinful. Yeah. It's Christ, yeah. you know, fashioned a quarter whips and beat the snot Absolutely. out of a bunch of money changers. That was righteous anger. He was not sinning and he was beating yeah. people down with that. So, yeah. What I'm talking about is being consumed by the anger. So yeah. you, we've all had this, right? Yes. You go to bed thinking about this person, the situation, and you're just hacked off. Yeah. You wake up in the morning, you are just hacked off of this person. I think that's where demons are trying to get us to be consumed by the anger. I no longer think anything positive about this person whatsoever. They've become all bad in my estimation. And we can actually do that with spouses, right? Yeah. We call that tunnel vision. I see now your weaknesses and I ignore all your strengths. Mm-hmm. I think when that is happening, we need to stop as Christians and say, okay, there's a bunch of reasons I'm mad at my spouse right now, but I think I'm letting Satan get a foothold here because I'm becoming consumed with the anger. I don't even want to talk to my spouse anymore. I think then we're moving into foothold territory. Oh, you Tim, got me sh- on that one. And we see that on a regular basis here at Rebel. We really do. Yep. And it comes, here's where we find it, scorekeeping. You know, I do this, I do this, I do this. You don't do anything or you barely do anything at all. And yeah. I'm here and you're here. And when someone's consumed by that, are there steps they can take to start pulling themselves out of that muck of viewing of the their anger. spouse in a different way and of calming that anger down? What are things we can do? Well, and, and I would do two things at the exact same time. I mean, there's a ton of great conflict resolution books that are out there, right? I, I wrote a book called I Beg to Differ, which is a basic conflict resolution book, right? Mm. So I'm not going to over-spiritualize it that, hey, throw away all the good things we've learned about how to resolve conflict. But I would first stop with you and your spouse and say, Lord, 
I feel like we're being attacked right now. And I'm claiming my authority in Jesus that if there are demons trying to cause me to have negative attitudes towards my spouse or my mm. spouse, me, I claim my status authority as a spouse. And I tell that demon, you are not allowed to stir it up with my spouse anymore. Amen. I go and do the hard work of resolving conflict, right? Okay. Which is finding common ground, trying to understand your spouse's perspective, apologizing where you need to. Yeah. So I don't have to over-spiritualize this. All you need to do is pray. No, then do the hard work of resolving conflict with each other. Amen. Mm-hmm. That is a rebel stance yep. for sure. 100%. Do the hard work to clean it up. Yep. And ah. claiming your authority as a spouse in Christ, and authority in Christ saying, hey, you got nothing to do here. You have no business being here and you got to get out of our house. You got to get out of our marriage. You don't exist here anymore. Hmm. Yeah. Later in the book, I talk about Charles Kraft, who, who has written 20 books on this topic. Hmm. And he says, as a believer, you have what he calls status authority. So status authority is you as parents, uh, you as spouses, uh, the fact that you are podcast leaders, your listeners, you have status authority over them. I'm a professor. I have inherent status authority over my classroom. So we need as Christians to exercise status authority to say, as a professor of this class, I say any demons that are causing my students to think that they're stupid, that they can't rise up, that they're shameful because of their grade, that they're embracing it in their identity. As a professor that has status authority, I reject any demon attacking my students. Oh, that's perfect. We do that as spouses, right? With our yeah. kids. And oh. I don't know if you guys have kids. Or... Yeah, got two. Yeah. So we have huge status authority over our... Right now I have a son who's in law school and he's heading into his final exams, which are huge. Mm. And I keep saying to him, hey, Jason, your identity isn't tied to this, yeah, right? right? If you do great on that test, we're not going to love you any more than we do now. And God won't love you any more than you do right now because, you know, all that pressure is a lot. Yeah. So, so much. the first is uncontrolled anger. Okay. Second is a sense of impending doom. Like all of us can be anxious about something, right? We decide to start a business. We decide to start a podcast. We decide to take a risk, Right. Of course, there's going to be anxiety, but what is a sign that everybody mentioned is I, if I take this faith step, it's going to end in disaster. Like we're going to lose the house. We're going to go bankrupt. We're going to uh, we're going to be living in a van down by the river. Oh, my God. That's what I used to say. Dr. Tim, I'm not even playing. So I quit my job. It'll be three years. January 23rd, 2019. Three years ago, I had a great paycheck. I had stellar insurance. All the things a job brings, all the security a job brings. And Laura can tell you, she can tell you, I had for months and months just, I, I just kept saying, we'd go to counseling. I'm waiting for the shoe to drop. I'm waiting for the shoe to drop. I Something is around the corner. Impending doom is heading my way. Laura didn't feel it. She did not feel it the way I did. I was under a dark cloud. I could not get out of this sense that something is out to get me and it is coming down the road. I'm going to I'm going to be found out for a fraud. I'm I'm a failure. I don't have any idea what I'm talking about. I've got no message. I've got no ministry. And when everybody finds out, we're going to lose everything and this will have been for naught. Wow. And that's where I would have stepped in, Ryan. I would have said to you, of course, I would have said, "Hey, this is a huge step you're about to take." I mean, giving up insurance should not be done lightly. Quitting a job with a great paycheck should not be done lightly. So that, that to me, isn't necessarily a spiritual battle. But when I hear you say 
but now it's we're going to be doomed. We're never going to recover if this goes bad. That's when I think my antennas go up and I say, okay, I think we're going into spiritual attack territory right now. And let's just make sure demons aren't trying to discourage you in ways that are in a, right now you're being discerning. And I think that's really wise. This feels like spiritual attack. And again, we could be wrong. It might not be, you know, there could be some demons somewhere going, hey, don't blame this on me, right? Yeah. But, but I think the New Testament writers would say, when in doubt, you need to assume this is spiritual battle. That ought to be your default position. And in the West, it is not our fa- no, default position. Not at all. Whatsoever. It wasn't. One of our listeners is asking if anything finally got to me. No. There was nothing out there. Here's the truth. When I got deliverance from that, and it was through pastors, it was through prayer, it was my wife, I'm going to get emotional. I was not only delivered, but blessed when we got rid of it. I mean, blessed in ways that we just keep going, what is going on? Yeah. What's going on? That stronghold was taken from us, and the blessings that came when we were delivered from it, it's shocking. It's shocking. Yeah. It is. A third one would be you no longer believe the best about yourself anymore, mm-hmm. right? And this is, Laura, what we were talking about. This is self-talk. Yeah. These are the conversations that psychologists say self-talk is 90% of who you are. So I remember walking with a student who didn't do well in the midterm, and I remember we're just walking. She said to me, uh, Dr. Miloff, I'm really sorry I didn't do well, and it's just I'm stupid. And I literally stopped getting oh. at her. You are not stupid, and that is not coming from God. That is coming from Satan, and you need to reject that. I don't care what you did on the midterm. Yeah. Right? Right. That kind of self-talk, it's, it's okay for me to think I can be a better husband, but for me to start to think I'm a lousy husband. Yes. I, I'm the worst husband in the world because I, you know, when, we deal with this with pornography all the time. I think Satan has won such a great victory because when a man or a woman looks at pornography, they think, okay, I'm the, the worst. worst. Yeah. Cancel me out. I can't do anything that, right. Yep. We need that narrative all the time. We do, we do a podcast as well at Biola, the Center for Marriage and Relationships, uh, called The Art of Relationships. And we did a whole podcast on conversations you should have, but you do it really poorly. Uh, one is the sex talk with your kids. One is the <laughs> pornography talk between couples. Yep. One is finding the relationship, you know, that kind, those kind of talks. Mm. And we shame men when it comes to pornography in so, ways that Satan just delights it. Loves it. And Jesus, Jesus nipped that in the bud when he gave his great parable of the prodigal son. Jesus imagined the worst possible situation and said, the father ran to the child. He ran. That's and right. even in a time when they don't run to their children. That's right. And adult males didn't run. They didn't That's what run. Kids did. <laughs> they don't run. That was disrespectful. Yeah. So, so when your spouse is starting to use language like, hey, I'm so sorry, I'm an utter failure. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. Hey, wait a minute. You are not a failure. Mm. That is not coming from me. That's not coming from God. And we need to take spiritual steps to protect you from that mm-hmm. because that is a demon trying to place that thought. I would say another one is you no longer believe the best about God. Yeah. You don't believe God's in your corner. Yeah. You don't believe God's going to come through. You believe I can do something that causes God to be so mad at me that he won't have anything to do with me anymore. Yeah, the Lord's and, not in charge anymore. Right. Mm. That's coming from Satan. Wow. And then the last one is interesting. It's violent dreams. Uh, everybody mentioned violent dreams. And I actually wrote the book because I was asked to be the interim teaching pastor of a a larger church here in Orange County. 
And I had incredibly violent dreams uh, imagining that people were coming up our stairs to kill me and Noreen. They were here to rob us. They were here to kill us. And I, I had that dream three days in a row. And one of the elders called me when I was making my decision. And he said, can we pray about anything? And I told him, yeah, pray about, you know, I'm a professor and can I add being an interim teaching pastor? And I, Laura, I almost ended the conversation and didn't bring up the dreams because mm-hmm. it just felt to me. Yeah. So I said, hey, let me just, I don't know, let me mention these weird dreams. I'm having these really violent dreams. And he said, Tim, we're calling the elders together tonight. You need to come and we're going to pray for you. And it wasn't a magic bullet. Yeah. The dreams continued, but they became less intense. Yes. Um, but to me, I thought the reason I'm going to write this book is why was I hesitant to tell an elder of a church who wanted to pray for me about these violent dreams because it just seemed like I was overreacting or being dramatic. Yeah. That's why I wrote the book. Right. And that's what we do. We think, oh, well, it couldn't be that. And I don't want to look weak. And I, you know, I don't want to look like I'm, you know, I believe in voodoo and all these types of things. And it was there and it was real. And then to be validated confirmed and prayed over it's That's not a magic fantastic. bullet i love that you said it's not a magic bullet it's not right. like it just went oh i feel fantastic now i feel great about the situation and it lessened it had less of a stronghold over you yeah well let me say this what i thought was interesting about the book so i can point to two instances i became a christian at age 13 i can point to two instances that i think there were dramatic attacks from satan this would be one of them the violent dreams Another one was I was at a family life conference by myself because it's always a teaching team of three. And so sometimes you go by yourself. And I am in this hotel room the night of the conference and the lights are off. And I tell you, there is a, something over my face breathing. Mm-hmm. It freaked me out. I got up, turned on every light, called a friend of mine who teaches at Biola. He said, dude, this is spiritual battle. You got to pray warfare prayers. So I'm, I'm doing warfare prayers in every room. But listen, in all my times of ministry, I can point to two super dramatic moments like that. And why is that the case? Because I think for me, it pushed me in the wrong direction that Satan didn't want me to go in. When I, I woke up to spiritual battle, I started to read books on spiritual battle. Wow. I started to develop warfare prayers. And I think Satan's like, oh, crap, with Neil Hoff, he went the wrong way. So now I need to be more subtle with Neil Hoff because the dramatic moments, his antennas go up. Oh, yep. Yeah. This is the garden where they say the spirit was crafty. Yes. Uh, I'm, the serpent was crafty. And in Hebrew, crafty means subtle. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, most of the attacks from Satan, I always have that moment where I can say, I, I can reason it away. Yeah. And just. Okay, I don't know if this is Satan. I don't probably not because I've only had those two dramatic moments in my entire life as a believer. But Satan, I think, is going after me all the time, all day long. Yep, I totally yeah. agree. I totally agree. And what was the fourth? Did we get to the no, we fourth? Got, we got the fifth. Was oh, right. the fifth. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know what, shame. Tim? I want to. Uh, shame. Oh, but I did say shame yeah. is I'm a horrible person. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tim, you talked about. Sex, declining intimacy, uh, improper views of sex, things like that. I tell you what we found at Rebel Parenting that we were really, really surprised at is how infrequently couples today are actually having sex. That there is pornography we have found is about 80, 90% of marriages is, is struggle with pornography. It is so rampant. It is so far out there. 
And I'm going to say something. I just want to throw it out there. And I know it's going to make people awkward and make some people uncomfortable. I don't excuse looking at pornography on any level. I'm never going to do that. I don't excuse cheating and infidelity on any level for any reason. That is a choice people make. I do not condone it on any level. And we hear from women, well, you know, I really want to be turned on. I want to want to have sex. I just don't. You know, I, just, I wish I did. I wish I had a sex drive like my husband, but I don't. Uh, by the way, Laura does not have this problem at all. It was the reverse with us when we were first married. And so, you know, we've grown in a very, very different way. And I'm telling the wives out there, you rebel wives out there, if you don't want to have sex with your husband, if you don't have a sex drive and you're not working on it, you're not actively seeking help for that, you're inviting calamity into your marriage. Mm -hmm. You are actively pursuing the demise of your marriage because that intimacy is necessary in a marriage, if it's the husband, if you're not loving your wife, if you're looking at porn, if you're looking at the bank teller or the girl at the checkout line or whatever it is, and you're not actively striving and seeking to fix that part of your marriage and to fix your sex life and to get the porn out and to get filters and get rid of your smartphone or whatever it takes, then you, sir, are actively pursuing the demise of your marriage too, and it's got to stop. Yeah, uh, so when Satan... With sex, his message is via pop culture, sex is the simplest thing there is. Yes. Right? It's just two people coming together, and we could even have horrible backgrounds. We could be terrible for each other, but the sex is great. And it's fairly simple. It's fairly passionate and erotic and stuff like that. But when you get married, you realize sex is one of the most complicated things there is because it's a diagnostic of the entire marriage. Yes. It tells you, I mean, if, if Noreen's. If we're miffed at each other, Noreen doesn't want to have sex, right? Correct. And she's like, listen, we got to resolve this. And I'm like, you know, it's so much easier just to go to a fantasy life. Or I think what's great about pornography that's so alluring is I don't have to deal with all the relational issues. Yes. It's just purely physical. It's purely erotic. So I think Satan uses sex. Uh, he gets us in this mind that sex, well, two things, two big lies, I think, from Satan. One is that. Christian couples have passionate, great sex because they're Christian couples. We tell this to singles all the time. Oh, you just keep yourself pure and the sex is going to be off the charts. Mm. And then we have couples come back to us and say, it's complicated and it's messy. And I don't, I don't know if we're offending each other. And I want to say that's because sex is so complicated. Yeah. Yes. Expect it to be complicated. Here's what they're also right? saying. Hey. You ripped me off. You promised something that didn't come true. You made this whole promise where if I kept myself pure and I didn't, you know, go after everything with two feet in a heartbeat, then when I got married, it was going to be like, wahoo, and it's not, and I feel ripped off, and you know what? Whatever. I'm going to porn. Right. Oh, absolutely. And that as of Satan that we got to really counteract is sex is a conversation that started outside the bedroom. So if the conversation is going well outside the bedroom, I think the conversation is going to go well for the most part inside. Yes. We can get books about sexual technique, and we all need to learn a little bit about each other's anatomy and things like that. Yeah. But if your heart towards each other is in a good place, then I think the intimacy is going to follow in many different ways. But Satan loves to get us this idea that sex is supposed to be over the top. Uh, Naomi Wolf is a feminist uh, theorist. Yeah who says that porn has so socialized us that just a merely naked body is bad pornography. Oh. 
So, so what she said, just a naked person, you and your spouse in bed, is nobody would pay to watch that. And so we have to be very careful of having these images that are totally unrealistic images. Right? Let's just take um, mutual climax, for instance, yeah. right? Yes. One person said, mutual climax is so unlikely it's trying to synchronize a sneeze together, right? So, but we have this crazy idea of what sex is supposed to be. Now, I think there's a lot of cultural reasons for that. But as Christians, we ought to think just a little bit of how Satan has influenced culture and how these ideas of the sexual revolution have really crept in. And let's think about that spiritually and pray against that. Mm, Amen. For our kids. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. That is huge. Thank you for saying that. I know we're out of time, but my goodness, you've given us... Sex is a diagnostic of the entire marriage. Sex is a conversation that starts outside the bedroom. You've given us so much gold, my goodness. I'm going to memify about every single thing you said here. This is just genius. Anybody watching needs to pick up your book, start listening to your podcast, and following the things that you say. Dr. Mm -hmm. Tim, my goodness, this is amazing. Hey, thank you so much. I really love being on your podcast. This is great. Thank, thank you. you. We definitely, definitely, I feel like I'm cutting this short. I Doesn't know. Doesn't it feel that way? It does. Can I just ask you now, could we have you back on again? Oh, I'd love it. Definitely. Oh, anytime. I'm going to have producer yeah. Kay call because we want to have you back on again. This is just too good to stop. Thank yes. you so much. Well, thanks for both what you are doing. It's great to see couples in ministry together. It's awesome to watch you too. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh. God bless you. God bless. We'll talk to you oh, soon. You too. Thank you. Who rebels? How good was that? I'm telling you, that was so lit. I had so much fun with him. What an amazing, amazing guy. We're going to have him back on again and again because he spits gold on these broadcasts. Thank you so much to Dr. Tim. Thanks to the voice of the martyrs, persecution.com, for sponsoring this broadcast and MyPillow. That's right, MyPillow.com. Use the code REBEL. I've been waiting to say that for a long, long time. Use the code REBEL for a discount at MyPillow.com. God bless, Rebels. See you soon. Rebel Parenting is produced by Rebel Media House. And when you need a little help with your marriage or parenting, and everyone does, you can find it at rebelparenting.org. Sign up for the Rebel Update by texting the word REBEL to 444-999. That's R-E-B-E-L, and the number is 444-999. We love it when you share Rebel Parenting with your friends and family, so thank you. God bless. Thanks for spending your time with us, and we'll see you next time for another episode of Rebel Parenting. Rebel Parenting.